Welcome to the 2011 Kidney Week in Philadelphia. My name is Ronald Falk, and I'm president-elect of the American Society of Nephrology. And with me today are three guests, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Dr. Ritz. I'm Eberhard Ritz from Heidelberg, Germany. I'm ASN member, past ISN president, and I'm an annual visitor of the ASN meetings. Ray. I'm Ray Hakim. I'm the chief medical officer for a provider, and uh, I have attended almost every meeting of the ASN since I was a fellow, so it's a great privilege to be here. Julie. And I'm Jula Inrig, and I'm a researcher and clinical uh, investigator at UT Southwestern in Dallas, and I've been going to the meetings for about six years, so I can give that perspective. Perfect. A good, diverse group with us here today. Jula, you're the newest member of the American Society of Nephrology. Many of us are have much more seniority. What made this day exciting for you? There was lots of fun aspects. I think it started with the plenary session and hearing a beautiful history of research from Dr. Friedman and talking about OB knockout mice and leptin. And it was just very concisely put together. It was very relevant to the nephrology field. And it was a very interesting uh, presentation. So what we learned there was that there's a gene that encodes for leptin that uh, signals the brain and really has a substantial role in our amount of adipose tissue. So after that lecture, did it make you feel better that you can or cannot gain weight? Well, you know, I think we're all trying to lose weight. And so you always think in the back of your mind, how is leptin playing a role in my weight loss balance? And whenever I try and lose weight, it's the leptin that's causing me to not be able to keep the weight off as I try and keep it off. I mean, the interesting thing is how leptin might play a role in kidney patients as well, as he talked about leptin being degraded within the kidney and whether or not increased elevations cause uh, the lack of appetite and the cachexia in some of our patients. And that's also an interesting area. And the fact that a transporter that we've long known in the kidney as megalin yes. plays a fundamental role in leptin metabolism. That was fascinating. That was interesting. As I well. was, yes, right. I was unaware of that too. Ray, what what did you find interesting today? As you would imagine, I sort of concentrated on issues related to outcomes of patients on dialysis. And although I did go to the plenary session and really enjoyed that talk. And I think Jula did a very nice job of summarizing the data. What I found very interesting is when I went through the posters, and there were several aspects of that came through from a number of posters, sort of that made it for me a very exciting movement in different directions, particularly as it relates to dialysis. As you know, the emphasis has been so much on the dose of dialysis and, you know, how to measure it and so on. But uh, what I see, which I think is a wonderful thing, is more attention to things other than the dose of dialysis. For example, there were several posters on the nutrition aspects related to both CKD patients and dialysis patients and how that can impact the outcomes and at the same time how it can be improved if one pays attention to that particular issue. Uh, as you may know, every time we dialyze somebody, we remove 
not only urea, creatinine, but we also remove a fair amount of amino acids that often come from the breakdown of muscle tissue. Do you think we're removing leptin? <laughs> I wish uh, we were removing it. I don't know the answer well, to that. 16, it depends on... 16,000 kilodollars. Wouldn't six, be, it wouldn't it, come across, would no, it? No. no. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it's probably protein-bound if I know most of these hormones are protein-bound. So I don't think we remove leptin per se. So do you think we should uh, think about leptin, Ray, in the dialysis patient? There was no poster related to leptin, so I have to say I complete ignorance on that. What has clearly come through is that <laughs> there are several ways now of measuring the nutritional status of patients, uh, from the well-known albumin to the well-known body mass index, but then there is also geriatric nutritional index. A number of those are coming through, all of them reflecting the nutritional status of patients. And again, what the summary of all of these posters have shown is, A, if the patient has bad nutrition, then their outcomes are poor, and B, that there are ways in which that nutritional outcome can be improved with better nutrition and so on. So that's one of the major themes that I think I saw in the posters this morning. Everhart, what titillated your fancy? I found Bonventris Atlas superb. It's putting the hand into a wound that nephrology is suffering from. Not only in the U.S., we have exactly the same problems. Nephrology in, in Germany is the only specialty in internal medicine where the recruitment of young investigators and young physicians is declining in cardiology, in oncology, you name it, they have an increase in applications for specialization. Nephrology does not. And I think uh, Bonventre gave a number of reasons for this. This extreme orientation to dialysis and end stage. Uh, he mentioned that in the past, the heroes, which I still remember from the Washington days, who were general physiologists who were in acid-base uh, metabolism and in, in, uh, control of ventilation, etc., they are no longer existing. Everyone has a much smaller niche today, and I think we have to change this. Let me just ask Jula this question. So you're much younger than the three of us sitting here. Why do you think nephrologists are fewer and farther between? What is it about our wonderful field that is turning off young folk? Well, when you read the surveys that are done to try and survey medical students to see what their choices are in choosing a field and whether they want to do nephrology or medicine or practice generally, it seems like the younger people are deciding factors other than just the interest of the science. They're choosing lifestyle factors. They have greater student debt, and so they're taking into consideration their how much they're going to get paid in the future. And unfortunately, I don't think they're focusing primarily just on what fascinates them and what's going to keep them stimulated day in and day out. They're taking a lot of other factors into play. And I think that if we have more interactions with medical students, they see the excitement in nephrology, that you have some of the classic leaders teaching them more about the acid base. That's what draw me into nephrology. It's a challenging field. It's a fun field. And they have to see that. And it requires having leaders who are still rounding in the hospital with the medical students and interacting with them 
on different venues so that they can see nephrology as an exciting field to join. So the American Society of Nephrology has this big manpower effort to try to do exactly uh, what you're describing. But to a certain extent, what you're saying to us is the, the difficulty of caring for our patients uh, may in fact be a turnoff. It is. I think some of them are seeing dialysis as a chronic condition and certain personalities don't enjoy that and don't enjoy, see, they see them as a very sickly population. It's more of an end of life. They may not enjoy that type of patient population. Ray, what thoughts do you have on this subject? Let me speak on a personal level that the reason I went into nephrology is that because I had a mentor, you know, that when I was a medical student, when I was rounding, he was a nephrologist, and I was very impressed with how smart he was. And, you know, he would always tease by saying, the smartest people in medical school go into internal medicine, and the smartest people in internal medicine go into nephrology. So, of course, I had to be a nephrologist. <laughs> but having said that, uh, it also was a field that was complex, but yet understandable and, and allowed us to take patients who had end-stage organ failure and still make them live with transplantation, which the kidney transplantation was the first one that we know of, also allowed them to have several other modalities from peritoneal dialysis to hemodialysis. So I was attracted by also the fact that at that time, when there was kidney failure, we had options. When there was heart failure, there was no option. When there was liver failure, there was no option. So I liked the hope that nephrology was able to impart to patients. And I think that element is a bit missing. People, when I sometimes go and give grand rounds and so on, I don't feel that nephrologists are excited by this. So my suggestion to the ASN is to develop a mentorship program is to have in some medical schools a mentor, a nephrologist, that you'd ask them to say, we'd like you over the next three to five years to increase the number of people interested in nephrology by 25%, 50%. So I think we need to set goals for the people in academia to say, you need to show them how excited you were when you were young and get them to become nephrologists or be interested in nephrologists. Yes, of course, it's a hard job and it's a lifestyle difficulty, but it's exciting. So, Everhart, the system in Europe is, is very different in terms of reimbursement, in terms of uh, the practice of care, but you're having exactly the same problems. Why? Well, I mean, this is a general problem of the specialty and it is also the consequence of the increasing specialization. All niches separating from each other. Let's just take our related neighbor, so to speak. Hypertension is a central element in nephrology, but there was absolutely no contact, at least in Europe, with the European Society of Hypertension. Those were two completely isolated islands. This has now been corrected to a certain extent. In the past, the nephrologists had almost complete control over transplantation, which is now terra incognita. You are a foreigner when you go on the surgical ward. 
when I was uh, running our unit, this was exactly part of our daily daily work. And I think we have to fight this specialization, not that people specialize, but they erect barriers and do no longer communicate with each other. I think this is the basic problem. Nephrology in the past was acid base, was ventilation. All all this is diabetes. We see the diabetics when they have kidney disease at a stage where you cannot do anything about the kidney. That is to say that you can only dialyze. And there is so much you can do in the earlier phases. I have family members with diabetes and it's fascinating what you can actually do. Small things. And I'm not uh, arguing that diabetologists are idiots, but everyone has certain limitations. And I think cooperation makes care, patient care much, much better. Julia, what else intrigued you today? So I had a hard time getting to everything I wanted to get to. So I did go to the posters, but there was two sessions this afternoon that I went between. One was the public policy session, talking about comparative effectiveness research. And it was a great overview, one, of what is comparative effectiveness research? How is it defined? And there's not an absolute definition for it today. And then there was a beautiful review of the literature within the last year of what's been done with regards to comparative effectiveness research in dialysis and chronic kidney disease. And then Dr. Poe gave a very nice overview of the Affordable Care Act, as well as the creation of the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, which I wasn't that familiar with, but apparently they've got a lot of money and they have money to fund research, which is always interested. I'm always interested in as a young investigator. So I went to that and then I went to an endothelial cell symposium. That was fascinating. So there was one person who talked about um, the development of atherosclerosis. And we all know that the endothelial cells contribute to the generation of atherosclerosis. And he was talking about differences in flow within different areas of the blood vessel and how gene expression within the endothelial cells can stimulate atherosclerosis or actually can protect against atherosclerosis. And he went on to talk about this one gene product that gets expressed that actually gets regulated by uh, statin, which was very interesting to hear about. And he used some of this data to talk about when you take a kidney transplant out, there's no flow. Absence of flow stimulates endothelial cell dysfunction based on this gene expression and how potentially maybe the use of a statin could abrogate against cold ischemia with endothelial cell dysfunction. So just some very exciting research that I heard. That was fun. Let me ask you a question. Both of you have raised, you and Ray have raised this issue about uh, trying to deal with the huge amount of material presented each day. So, Jula, Ray, Everhard, how, how do you approach the morass of, of information? How do you do it, Jula? I run around. I get my exercise. <laughs> keep my weight off. I don't need to go to the gym on the days like this. It's hard because there are so many sessions, so I have to pick and choose. And while I'd like to go to sessions that relate to my research, which is in hypertension, I try to go outside of the box and then go to areas that I wouldn't normally listen to so I can hear something exciting and something different that I wouldn't otherwise come across. And while I might be interested in hearing, here's a review of the literature of the last year, I can do that literature reading myself. So then I'll try to go to something new and novel. That's what I try and focus on. Right. I look at the uh, Kidney Week summary of where the lectures are and where the posters are. 
the night before and I circle what I want to go to and then the next morning when I wake up I look at those again and just make sure that they're still what I'm interested in doing. I have to admit unlike Jula I tend to concentrate on what I'm doing best because there is a lot to learn in what I'm focused on in terms of improving patient outcomes in dialysis but there is plenty to do and unfortunately I miss being able to go to other things so when I go back home I download a lot of the abstracts and start reading those and and so it's uh, plentiful uh, but it's wonderful. There's all the material, you know, yeah. all the, the, a lot of the sessions are actually recorded, so you can download those, too. Yeah. Eberhard, how do you do this? There are ways to do it, and there are ways of how not to do it. I remember that some years ago, I met an Italian colleague, and he said, Eberhard, I went through the program. There are seven lectures that I wanted to listen to, so I knew I had to cut out six so I told myself, why don't I cut out the seventh as well and go to a good Italian restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> I do it in a somewhat different way. I take the top, uh, which interests me, me most, but uh, unfortunately you, ever, you always have more than one single preference and, and try to find the best resins in, in the cake. So many parallel sessions I think we must find means how to access the presentations after the Congress. So you know that's and available. There are a I, lot of I, these presentations. I'm unaware of this. <coughs> They're all available to Congratulations you. Congratulations to the ASN. I was unaware of this. But this was my complaint in the past right. two or three meetings of the European Rena Association. I think this is exactly the step forward that I had been asked for. So you can download all the abstracts on abstracts on demand, and then you can download, uh, not ensure how many hours of sessions you can uh, obtain uh, after the meeting. So it's we, we have made the steps so that you can hear multiple things, but asynchronously, in other words, at different points. Sure, of course. Let's go back to this issue, though, about what else you learned. You had a third point earlier, Eberhard, of things that interested you today. What was that third one? That was diabetic nephropathy, which is, of course, a field of interest of mine. And there were some really brilliant new uh, insights. The, I, I was very much impressed by the. In the past, it was the basics, which was much superior to the clinical. But this year, I had the impression that the clinical diabetology was much better or much more interesting, not, not better in terms of scientific value than the, base, the basic presentations. I think we are now proceeding, say, endothelial uh, receptor blockers, combination or in isolation, and resveratrol, for instance, which uh, is an interest of mine. I have a great interest in the impact of, of wine and alcohol on kidney disease, and resveratrol is presumably the mediator, and I was delighted to see that there is now evidence coming forward that moderate uh, amounts of resveratrol improve the outcome of or reduce the progression of diabetic nephropathy. I'm not arguing for alcoholism, but I'm arguing for a to continue a good European tradition of having 50 milliliters of red wine per day. <laughs> Maybe your colleague who went to the Italian restaurant did both. <laughs> yeah, well, he did both. <laughs> 
What's interesting from all three of you is none of you said that you downloaded the ASN app. I was going to say that I did that. Oh, good. Yes, I wanted to jump in and add that I, I typically, I'm the younger person here, so always a week before I go online, I click everything and download it so that I have it all in one succinct place. But I always wind up changing when I get the booklet, so I do the same as you do. Yeah. I look at the booklet and some things might change or something else that I might have missed, I'll add, but at least then I'll have read all the posters of interest before I run all all around to look at them. But and now wonderful. you can stand there with your smartphone and it tells you where to go and what to do. See, I don't know how to do that yet. I'm not sure I know how to do either, but uh, there are 20-year-olds here who do, and that's the important <laughs> my, part. My colleague, Dr. Himmelfarb, said 4,000 people downloaded the app, app for ASN. Right. So. What else was fun today? Fun. Operative word being <clears throat> fun here. Well, what I enjoyed is hearing from the USRDS system that finally we are able to demonstrate a reduction in mortality of patients who are on dialysis, particularly cardiovascular mortality, which Dr. Ritz has advocated for over and over again in many ways. But I think we're finally beginning to see a decline in mortality, overall mortality, primarily due to cardiovascular mortality reduction. So <clears throat> I think that is great news for, for me. It means that finally we're paying some attention possibly from increased use of statins, possibly from you know better anemia management, possibly from better cardiac and fluid management. All of these things are things that I think everybody's finally beginning to say, I need to pay attention to, and it's showing in that. So that's one of the things. On the disappointing side is the data that, again, was showed by the USRDS that of all patients who have acute kidney injury and potentially got dialyzed in the hospital, when they leave the hospital, only 20% of them are followed by nephrologists. So we have all of these 80% of patients with a prior history of acute kidney injury who are not followed by nephrologists, and the reasons for that is not clear to me. But that's one thing. Would that happen also in Europe? The reasons are ethical. Yes. Uh, yeah. Of course, we have the same problem. And we try to communicate to the medical community that specifically the diabetic with acute kidney injury has an immensely elevated risk to progress. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons, not the only one, why they should be in the hands of nephrologists. This is not currently done on a broad basis, but uh, if you try to implement this locally, right. I think uh, this will be contagious and slowly spread through the nation. But I'm absolutely convinced that this is a underrepresented field of nephrology yep. follow up for acute kidney injury and another uh, problem is of course that nephrologists are not routinely included in the team of patients with acute kidney injury uh, who are on the intensive care unit yep. Yep. or in uh, the United States taken care of by hospitalists yes I'm going to go ask again back to this issue of mentorship if I may <coughs> Jula, tell me what makes a good mentor. I, I will tell you my own bias to start with. I think mentors aren't born. I think that mentors have to be made. You don't 
jump out of bed and say, I'm a mentor today. It's something that actually takes a, a certain amount of work to, to learn how to, to train younger individuals. But succinctly, what, would, what do you look for in a mentor? And do you have one? Yes, I do have a mentor. And since I'm in that career stage of transitioning from being mentored to being a mentor myself, I think these are important aspects. And when you look for a mentor, it has to be someone who's far enough along in their career that they can adequately advise you. And you have to look that their career trajectory has been successful and that they've also hit roadblocks so that they can help you in your career trajectory. So I think it takes someone who's in a similar career path, whether it's within nephrology or if you've got an interest in you know, hypertension or other factors, that you might need a pool of mentors to, to fulfill all the needs that you need depending on your career stage. So I honestly think it takes more than one mentor for an individual to succeed, particularly if they're in academic medicine or in research. Ray, what's a mentor? A mentor for me, at least from my perspective, is somebody who's excited at being a nephrologist. I still remember when I was doing those rounds as a medical student, the nephrologist dragging me by the hand and showing me all kinds of sediments in urinalysis and how, and describing each one of them and saying how wonderful it is and look at this, look at that. So it was somebody who was very excited about what he was doing. So I think it's the major sort of non-nephrology quality that I would look for in a mentor is somebody who's excited at what they do and be an example for the people who are supposed to be following him, you know, around, you know, in the, during rounds and so on. So that's one. Two, somebody who cares. I think most of us go into medicine because we care about patients. And if, you know, while you're there with that person that he, he gets a call about a patient and says, oh, you know, forget about it. Uh, that patient always bugs me. I'm not going to do anything. That will automatically sort of turn people off. So somebody who's excited about what they're doing, somebody who cares about the patient, for me, are the two primary characteristics that make a mentor. And the same if the, if the mentorship is for doing research, is to be all excited about small but important findings. That's what makes people say, maybe I should, when I grow up, quote-unquote, I want to be like him. Everhart? I don't have to add very much to what Ray Hakim said. Specifically, in my case, I made an enormous effort to uh, introduce or to, to upgrade nephrology in Eastern Europe. I trained 20 Polish uh, now nephrologists. The, the current president of the Polish society was trained by me, uh, the, the president of the Czech society was trained by me, I uh, uh, have Russians, Kolika Nova currently with me. So uh, in addition to what he said, I think we should encourage to uh, bring the message of nephrology into the emerging world. That is what ISN is trying to do very successfully in many countries. Unfortunately, uh, there are problems in Africa where this is not as much prospering as it should. But uh, I think we have an obligation outside, even outside of our uh, respective countries. 
may I add one possibility is for the ASN to say, we'll look over the next five years and the institution that has the most nephrology fellows coming through them might receive a recognition of some sort or mm-hmm. it's if it's a, you know a mentor that uh, we can identify although clearly other people will contribute but if there is a mentor that we can recognize by having a special recognition a chair or or a lecture named after him uh, i think we need to emphasize not just the people who made big advances but also people who bring the younger medical students and residents into nephrology. Brilliant idea. Thank you, all three of you, for spending time with us today. Uh, This is Ron Falk for the American Society of Nephrology. Thanks again.